everyone, Stephanie Rickett here, Editorial Director of Hotel News Now, back for another episode of Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast with your favorite data geeks. I'm here with Jan Freitag, National Director of Hospitality Analytics at CoStar Group, and Isaac Colazzo, Vice President of Analytics at STR. Hi, guys. Hey, Steph. Hey, Steph. So in our last episode, I was out sick, but you guys talked about a couple interesting points that I just want to recap for the listeners. Early indicators that fall hotel performance here in the U.S. was looking pretty good after a softer summer, thanks to good group demand, um, some solid performance in top 25 cities. You were a little less certain, maybe, of a recession this year, and then you had a, dare I say it, fun and informative sidebar into your thoughts on artificial intelligence. So if any of our listeners missed that episode, I will link it in the story. But for this episode, I'm gonna try to keep you guys on the rails, but we will talk about performance, now that we're in the fourth quarter, forecast, recession, and all of that. But first, I wanna ask your thoughts on the topic du jour, which of course is Choice Hotels International's pursuit of Wyndham hotels and resorts. However, Instead of asking your thoughts on whether this is a good idea, will it happen, so on and so forth, I want to get some data insight. So tell me, what do you guys think a deal like this would mean for overall branded landscape of, say, economy to mid-scale hotels in the U.S. in general? Can it happen? What would it look like? What would those segments in particular look like? Isaac, you going to start start us off? Yes, I'm going to start us off. You know, again, can it happen? Of course it can. So, uh, and again, is it good or bad? That's not for us to judge. I think it it's an opportunity, right? So from a data perspective here at STR, it gives us the license to rethink a couple of things. So should the choice Wyndham be approved, we might want to rethink chain scales. That gives us that license, that opportunity to rethink that because they are so focused in those two chain scales. They have such a dominance in those two chain scales that it may make them somewhat obsolete for the rest of the industry. So that's what some of the things we're thinking about. And literally immediately when we saw the press release come out from choice, we already started all the analysis. So I can even tell you today that right now, 15 markets, uh, both economy and mid-scale, would be really really impacted by this by this merger, right? So we'd have to really, those 15 markets potentially would be dominated by mm -hmm. those two, by uh, the Choice and Wyndham brand. So again, it's a, it's a real opportunity for us. It's pretty exciting because we get to look at everything and go, hey, this would be fun. What so if? It's, yeah, what <laughs> if? And so, again, I look at it as an opportunity, not as a problem, and uh, nothing more than that, going, hey, this is going to be fun. We can figure this out. Yeah, I think that you talk about the chain scale, and at STR Costa, we have something called the class that includes the independent properties. So while on the surface, there seems to be this really, you know, then uh, the branded house of what, 43 brands or something like that. I think H&N posted a super interesting infographics. The reality is that half the rooms in the economy sector are indeed unbranded, you know? So it's the impact on the class of economy type properties is not as pronounced as Isaac says it is for the chain scale. You know, there's, there's a very distinct other way of looking at it to say, yeah, if it even if it happens, Still, half the rooms are not part of any brand. I know, but as an ex-brander, 
I don't really care about those independent hotels. The only thing I care about those independent hotels is they are, I can convert them to one of my brands, right? So for me as a ex Marriott, ex IHG person, this does matter. And I don't care about those independents other as a development opportunity. Yeah, it was interesting to read the Wyndham chairman yesterday on the earnings call talk about that 20 years ago, they were actually approaching choice. <laughs> and he said, well, we don't talk about that anymore, but that happened. So I think these conversations are ongoing, but it didn't happen then. It's not happening now. So, you know, this may just be a theoretical exercise. Right. It could happen. It could That's happen. what we thought with Starwood and Marriott. Remember that was like well, a... that's it. And so it was it funny at the happen. time. Everybody said, well, what will this mean for the brands that are concentrated in some of these similar spots between Starwood and Marriott? And will X brand cease to exist? And will it be taken over by Y brand? And of course, that really didn't happen. And so, of course, you apply those same uh, methods of conjecture to a potential deal like this one. So I, I was really interested to hear both of your take on what that would be due to the data, because of course we hear about it from other perspectives, but it's in an interesting thought exercise. <laughs> Lots of fun, actually. But here we are, and of course it's, it's fun to have a big news headliner as we're moving through the year, a, a year that's been, you know, a lot of ups and downs, but steady progression over the last couple months. Now we're solidly in the fourth quarter. Summer is over. Last time we sat down for an episode, you guys were ruminating on, well, summer was this, but fall is looking like this. Now that we are fully into it, group, business transient, performance and demand in cities, are those the big powerhouses that are going to get us through the rest of the year? Yes, they are. They are the powerhouses. We're seeing a shift from the non-top 25 into the top 25. We're seeing pretty darn good occupancies and ADR growth especially since September, we've seen ADR return because yeah, summer ADR was really low. It was like 2.2% on the, uh, for I think for the quarter, but it, it was low, right? So now we are getting back that pricing power, but it's also because we're getting more of the traditional business traveler back, more of the convention traveler. So I think that's what we're seeing at the moment. So it looks good, but caveat, next week's gonna be scary. And not just because oh, it's Halloween. Right. We're recording this in late October. Next week is Halloween. Right. And everyone's already forgotten because both Jan and I have been receiving messages. Why does next week seem so, so weak? And, uh, you know, there's not much on the books. It's because it's Halloween and it falls on a Tuesday, which really negates business and group travel because every parent both parents want to be home for their children and no meeting planner is going to plan any meetings next week because of that. So that's the part that will be the caveat. October is going to be an interest. It's been pretty good, but that's going to throw it because we're going to lose basically a week because of the holiday falling on a Tuesday. A year ago was on a Monday, had less of an impact because people did stay home Monday and then they traveled Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. This will be, again, a greater impact. Well, there is indeed a group meeting that week. The ULI Fall Conference is in LA, which starts on the 30th. I'm on the Hotel Development Council, and they moved the meeting because we were supposed to have dinner on the 31st. And I guess the organizers got a lot of emails saying, uh, that's probably not happening. So they moved it out to the 1st and the 2nd. But I'm very, very curious to see what traffic will be like on the show floor on the 31st. I'm not going to be there, but I'm just going to listen for it. 
Um, let's hope, Isaac, that meeting planners, yes, they're not booking that week, but let's hope they push it into this week. Of course, yeah. But, you know, and then maybe into the following week. Right, that makes sense. And we, we've been talking about that within my team, that this could, it could be like bookend. We could have a very strong this week and then take the off next week and then have a very strong start to November. So we'll have to wait and see. The September group data was very encouraging. We sold only 200,000 fewer group rooms than we did in September of 2019. And Isaac and I have a little side bet going. Is it possible that in October, we're actually selling more group rooms than we did in 2019, having the best group months ever? So stay tuned for that. Well, that begs a question because now I'm going to say the word that I said last time we would never say again, of course, normalization. We talk mm. about normalization a lot. Oh, no, you're booing me in the Halloween no, spirit that was of this episode. Oh, that okay. was a boo, not a boo. So let me let me ask you guys this and, and explain this for the benefit of our listeners, maybe who might be newer to the industry since pandemic times. What in a normalized U.S. hotel operating environment should we be expecting to happen in the fourth quarter as we're moving into November, December in terms of, oh, this is usually when business transient or group picks up or slows down or changes to the what is a normal last two months of the year and how is that different or the same this year? I think you encapsulated. You really have to look at by weeks instead of months, right? So what happens is right after Labor Day, you start going toward a new peak. And the peak normally occurs just before Halloween. That's when occupancy gets back up to near 70% on a normal year. Thereafter, it's going to stay in the high 60s, but it'll begin trending down. And by the time we get to Thanksgiving, then it starts getting really close to bottoming out which it does during the week of Christmas. And then on New Year's, you'll see a bump up. This year's New Year's, just heads up, will be a good New Year's again because it's still on a weekend. New Year's Eve is on Sunday. New Year's Day is Monday. So it still provides for a three-day weekend. So that'll be good. Next year, not so good. So get ready for next year's not being great. But this year should be really good. So that's kind of how it goes. So we'll bottom out that last week of December, and then the climb will start all back into the first quarter as groups and meetings and everything starts back for the new year. And it'll be very interesting to see if there is international inbound to New York, Boston, Washington for that Christmas time period. We've had in the past, pre-pandemic, obviously, a lot of inbound for shopping in December that has helped. The transient occupancy, which was not business travelers because those stayed further home and not a lot of group meetings going on. But it's going to be interesting to see if the international traveler stays home or actually comes back. And or if Americans stay home and or go overseas. Because again, That's what we saw in September it. was very a large increase in, in outbound travel. So, Which typically is peaking in summer months, right? But right. that season extended this year, would you say? Yes, it did. And again, maybe it had to do with fall breaks. You know, again, as, as things get back to normal, you know, where people are kind of now going back to regular schools, session weeks and things, maybe that's what led that peak. Again, we didn't look at it by week in terms of the actual outbound side, but we did look at the month and the month was really, really strong. Mm -hmm. Maybe it was just Instagram envy that everybody saw their neighbors in or their friends in August being in Italy and saying, oh, I missed out. Let me go as well. <laughs> Let's go. And maybe it'll be less busy in Rome right. in September. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so let's unpack what's happening in top 25 cities. I think that's been a really interesting arc to look at over the last year, even to see at first 
the industry was afraid cities would never come back. And of course, like the leaves changing, everything always comes back, right? So what are some of the city highlights? Las Vegas has been doing pretty well. Yeah, Las Vegas is benefiting, obviously, from a very strong convention calendar, no doubt, right? But you still have pockets of weakness, right? San Francisco is still weak. Minneapolis is still weak. And they have off. It's weird. It's not every week that they're really down, but it just goes up and down, right? So, uh, but overall, I think the story is it is the top 25 driving the U.S. right now. And it's really interesting. And I'm going to go on a limb that it has a lot to do with business. And the reason I say that, Steph, is because if you look at the chain scales, that we st- we started the whole discussion about chain scales, but the top four chain scales, luxury, upper upscale, upscale, and upper midscale, have actually sold more rooms this year than in the second or third quarter of 2019. Mm-hmm. And they're all, if you look at upscale and upper midscale, which I think is the real bedrock for small and medium-sized businesses, they've been selling more rooms at least the upper mid-scale has been selling more rooms than in 2019 since November of 21 and upscale basically since March of 22. So I think, and that's, and a lot of those properties are also in those top 25 markets. They're business type destinations, right? So they're, uh, and they they cater to that small and medium-sized that business. That's those SMEs, pre- yeah. Right. And so I think that's the story still. I think, again, people are going back. New York, obviously, we've all read about New York. And yes, the demand is there. Yes, hotels have been taken out of inventory for housing migrant workers, et cetera. But again, there's real demand there. You can see that demand growth. It's not the occupancy is not just because of the supply side. It's because also of demand. And so, um, but again, we're watching that on a on a weekly basis and writing about it on a weekly basis. Yeah, the um, for the first uh, three quarters, room demand in New York is up 9%. The occupancy, this is just September, was 88% at an average wow. rate of just under $400, $392. That's the average? That Wait, means that there are a lot of people paying, you know, $1,200. Back up. That occupancy you said was 88% in September? 87.8% in September. Wow. Yeah. So very, very healthy. Now, Isaac mentioned an interesting point, right? So we count 16,000 rooms that are taken out of the greater, this is the MSA, the larger market, out of inventory for to house the unhoused migrants and refugees. You add to that that air, running an Airbnb in New York City is now so much harder because you basically have to live there and you can't lock off any mm-hmm. rooms. And if we follow our friend Jamie Lane from AirDNA, you know, he's suggesting that a lot of the short-term Airbnb, uh, Airbnb available rooms are now being moved into longer-term inventory. Now, you still have 9,000 rooms in construction, so that's going to come. But overall, I think that builds an environment where if you have demand continue to increase with healthy group, maybe some more corporate transient and, of course, ongoing leisure, but you have fewer rooms, there could be continued pricing power in the city. I think there is. I, I'm happy to be in the city in, uh, right after Thanksgiving, and you should see the prices. And again, that's Christmas in New York, which again, I, I we know. It's not a surprise, right? We didn't forget about this. We just have to be there. But the prices are definitely on the high, high end. And it makes sense because, again, the demand will be there for Christmas in New York as, you know, the, the people are getting back again to their normal, their normal habits. And I think the other thing just, Steph, as you look at all the data, right, we've been seeing that, you know, TSA airport screenings in the third quarter were 2% higher than the third quarter of 2019. 
So again, as we think about the future and think about this recession, there again, I don't see it right now. Mm. I mean, I see everything continuing. And last week in uh, Atlanta, I happened to be flying through Atlanta last week. Something was going on Friday, but they were reporting huge lines Friday morning at the airport and they were unprepared. And the same thing, I happened to be in Denver and I had never seen this. Like, what is going on? That always happens in Denver. <laughs> I guess so. I know Denver because of all the construction. Yeah. Okay. Let's leave it. But Atlanta was surprising because it made the news, right? It doesn't make the news in Atlanta when the, cause the airport's pretty busy all the time, but it actually made the, the evening news about there was crazy craziness at the airport that that day. And so, again, I think people are out there. They're going to be traveling. Again, top 25 are desirable destinations, right? These are the cities that people want to visit. They say they haven't visited in a while. So I think you're going to see continue to see them come back to normal. They're still below where they were in 2019, but they're getting closer and closer to their 2019 demand levels. And I think that's a very, very important thing to call out. For example, you know, Boston RevPAR September is up 7.7%. Washington, D.C. RevPAR is up almost 15%. But that does not mean that we're back to 19. This right. is just year over year. The comps are pretty easy for those larger meeting corporate transient driven markets. But 2019 is still a little far off. Right. And again, uh, it's good. It'll get there. The uh, big public companies in their third quarter earnings calls all have talked about so far that still so much opportunity and pent up demand for large corporate groups. So of course, those small and medium size events have been bread and butter all along, but they've said that 2024 is going to be the year that the giant corporate groups are unleashed. Are cities ready for it? I believe so. Yeah, I think they're ready. I think everyone's ready for it. Everyone just wants things Again, lack of a better word, which we could get a better, just to be back to normal, right? We just want to, but again, nothing is, right? So right now in the whole geopolitical sphere, we're dealing with other things that we didn't expect to deal with a year ago, right? So again, ongoing war in Ukraine. Now, of course, the uh, the uh, conflict in, in Israel and the Gaza Strip. So, I mean, there's still always going to be something that's going to give us worry about the future. But I think we're just trying to get from a demand standpoint, Back to those normal patterns. So technical recession starting this year? No. I mean, they'd am, only you know, have one quarter to do it. <laughs> I know. And, you know, I, I wrote down some notes on this because I just, you know, again, we are, we're about to release our forecast. So for our listeners, you'll see no real change for our 2023 forecast, right? It's a, it's a slight upgrade, but it's really just because the third quarter actually came in better than what we expected. So that's just... So that's just going to move it up. We're still, we did build in a recession, even though in my heart, I just don't see it. But we built it in just because it's the prudent thing to do. Plus, we're also using the GDP forecast and all the data we're using is coming from Oxford Economics, who is still calling for this recession. 2024, I'm, you shouldn't expect anything different from what we released uh, two months ago or a quarter ago. It looks pretty much, it's in line. We really don't have any more new information other than third quarter was better than we thought. And so really, the only, I think by the time we get to January's release for the Alice conference, then we'll have a lot more insight on if this recession happened. But why do I think the recession's not gonna happen? Uh, it's just the job strong, jobs are strong. You know, 35% of the labor gains since March 2020 is in that professional sector. And that to me, again, I've said this before in other podcasts, that's the sector that will utilize hotels for both business and leisure. Then if you look, uh, look at uh, uh, um, unemployment for college educated, it's well below what it was in 2019. 
layoffs are below where it was in 2019. And job growth or job openings are still above where they were in 2019. And then, but I know he's looking at me. I can see him looking at me right now. He's giving me those eyes going, yeah, yeah, but people are in debt. They're up debt and they're, yes. And you know what? And I said this last time, there's a trillion dollars in credit card debt. Oh, that's nominal. We didn't talk about real credit card debt. If you look at real credit card debt in the in adjusted for inflation, it's it's exactly what it was in 2019 in the second quarter. That's the latest data that's out. Delinquencies are below where they were in 2019, and the percent of uh, loans, yeah, 90% plus delinquent, are, is half of what it was in 2019. So, so tell me. Isaac is giving you permission to put that trip on your credit card. Exactly. I mean, it's like, put it, I just don't, and again, the the, the jobs that are being created are good jobs, right? Professionals. And they're and so you would think unless layoffs, that's the thing to watch, layoffs. If layoffs start increasing and it's in the professional side, you know, corporate side, yes, then all bets are off and it's a different game. But we just don't expect that. Jan, you want to. He wants to fight me. He really does. He wants to tell me what my numbers are all wrong. No, your numbers are <laughs> correct. I would never fight your numbers. I just want to fight you on sentiment. So I have three comments on that. Number one is I'm a co-star guy. And I'm a loyal foot soldier in the house called recession. So I'm like, okay, I'll go with that. And that is the underpinning of every single presentation that I'm giving. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, our forecast is for a recession. And that's why you know, rapid growth is somewhat muted. I think, number one. Number two, I think we have the calendar in our favor because indeed, if you take the sort of general uh, definition of a recession of two consecutive quarters of GDP decline, we have one quarter this year and the other quarter next year. So it's not in one year. So we can still have what we've never had before, which is RevPAR growth in a recession, right? Positive this year, positive next year. And lastly, our head of capital markets, um, Chad's opinion on what drives the recession is the lack of credit availability and has continued in a higher for longer, continued interest rate environment. It's very, very hard to get anything done because it's so expensive to borrow anything. And I think corporations will start to curtail their spending and that has implications up and down the chain scale. Now, the so to wrap this up, is it possible that we will be in a technical recession that will be announced by the NBER two years from now? Yes. Is it possible that the hotel industry is somewhat insulated because of everything that you're saying? Yes. So both of those things can be true. It may not be a hospitality recession, but we're still suggesting there's a slowing in the general economy. I don't disagree with you either. That's the hard <laughs> part. But again, I don't see a technical recession. I don't see the NBER coming out with that either, because again, we're not seeing that 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 job that job decline that's really required for that. And you're not seeing the slowness. And yes, I do think for companies, what you said, the availability of credit, yes, that that's real. I don't disagree with that. But I think for most consumers and the consumers that we care about, the people who stay at hotels, I don't think credit is an issue. I just don't. You don't see it in the numbers. They're not delinquent. They're not gonna be delinquent because again, they have the means, i.e. a job, and savings. So I don't see that as uh, as being an issue for me. So then 
Tell me why <laughs> Tell me more. is the economy sector well, doing so poorly? Well, again, that's a great question. So one of the things that I've been avoiding, and this has been something we've been thinking about a lot, and Jan, you know, he, he asked in a fun way, but we've been talking about this for months now. <laughs> It would be very easy for me to go down that path and say, yes, the people who cannot afford it have are no longer traveling. I think that's too simple of an answer. I don't believe that's the real story of what's happening to the economy. So yesterday, I just started doing some, we, we've been working on this for months, but yesterday literally was have came up with an idea of why is it the four largest chain scales that are a hell of a lot more expensive are selling more rooms than ever before? And have been so. Like we said that earlier in this podcast. I started thinking about could the economy sector, could it be a composition issue? Because one thing we know for sure is the. Let me just uh, jump in. By largest, you mean economy? No, I'm mid, talking luxury, upper upscale. So highest chain right. scale. And luxury, also, upper upscale, upscale, upper mid. And they're selling more rooms than ever before. They're actually yes. in good position, right? So why is it economy, mid scale? is not doing that badly. It's only one economy. So I started thinking about maybe we're just looking at this wrong. Maybe we need to look at the composition of it because what we know is the supply has retreated from economy. Mm -hmm. The hypothesis I'm trying to prove, which is not proved yet, is could it be the better hotels that were in economy have moved into other chain scales? That's right, that's one hypothesis. And then going in, so we're, we have a lot of work to do, but we started looking at, we know that 14% of the 2019's supply of economy hotels are now in a higher segment. So that's what, that was the work I did yesterday. Now it's a matter of what kind of impact and can we prove that? Again, this may be a rabbit hole. It may go nowhere. And at the end, we may say truly it is, uh, the lower end travel traveler that is not staying at economy hotels. But again, I don't think that's true. And I also believe there's other factors, including we've looked at transportation. We've we've heard from a lot of our clients that some of this could also be related to rents. Rental units mm -hmm. are cheaper, so people are staying at, at apartments versus hotels. And we'll never be able to, that's the data we'll never be able to really reconcile. But we are going to look into it. And that's, I mean, I think it's very, it's a very complicated, it's not as easy as you can tell, because we've been doing working, trying to figure this out for months. But again, I don't think it's as easy as that simple. It's the economy. That's why people aren't staying at e economy hotels. I don't think right. that's the answer. But this is definitely something where we're both digging into the day and looking yeah. at it you know, 12 different ways, and there's more to come. So yeah. maybe next month, you know, we'll have a little bit more. And, and hopefully we'll have at least the hypothesis either uh, we'll accept the hypothesis or we'll say it's a, it's, you know, it's wrong. And especially what I'm working on this composition thing, because that's going to take a lot more time to kind of flush out. And of course, you know, we talk about the economy and all the factors involved right now, including inflation, interest rates, and so on. What kind of impact are you seeing in on the transactions deal side of the market? Jan, you track these a lot. What are you seeing in terms of deal flow? Crickets. So that's the <laughs> that um, was a meaningful pause. Yes, exactly. Um, in the higher for longer interest rate environment, it is very very hard to get deals done in the third quarter. Still, I mean, if uh, the transaction volume was there, I mean, we sold six billion worth of assets, but that's half of what it was a year ago, and. We don't really see a catalyst for Q4 or Q1, honestly, for something to change materially until the Federal Reserve says, okay, 
we are now officially done raising weights because there's still, right. if you check Bloomberg, some people are still suggesting, hey, we are not actually done. So right. once we get clear signal that this interest rates is what it is, and maybe we'll actually start decelerate, then I think we'll see more activity. So I think we continue to see select players to select deals. You saw Rhyme and Blackstone trading the JW in San Antonio. You saw um, uh, uh, in Mr. Sam Chang in New York City selling the, the triple branded Hilton property, took, took that off his portfolio. So there are still some deals getting done, but it's not at all with any velocity. Right, which has been the case all year. Plus, <laughs> so nothing really different there. How about before I before we close up with uh, a fun topic that I want to talk to you about? How about um, pipeline under construction? You know, we've heard again. This has been kind of a hot week for public companies uh, talking about their third quarters, and of course, these guys are talking about a lot of conversions, but also you know a little bit more activity in terms of construction starts in the US. So what does the pipeline look like in terms of, you know, particularly that under construction pipe and, and how things might change in the next six months? Well, you know, Steph, there's still a good number of hotels. It is down 6.3% from a year ago. It's under construction rooms, but it still is 146,000 rooms or 1,161 hotels that are under construction, right? So again, it's not like there's nothing under construction. There are a good number. Yeah, the slide that I make about that, my headline on that slide is we're not building ballrooms anymore. I've used that exact same slide for the last, I mean, since 2019, arguably. Limited service is the name of the game. That's where the public traded companies put their effort. Developers like it. Lenders like it. Customers like it. So it's really, really hard to get a big box done. So you see some luxury in some upper upscale. You know, some stuff in Vegas is finally coming to fruition, the, the fountain blow uh, specifically. But other than that, you're, you're exactly right. It's limited service all the time. And I, let me clarify the numbers. It's 53% of all under construction rooms are in the upscale and upper midscale. And in final planning, that number is 66%. That's what... Mm -hmm. On the yeah. final planning number, it's important to note that that number is ballooning. So yeah. while the number of uh, in rooms in construction is decelerating, the final planning number is accelerating. It's 40% higher today than it was a year ago. And that's going to be interesting to watch because some of them may fall by the wayside, but some of them are just ready to go. And as soon as interest rate environment evens out, I think we will see a, a, a slew of starts. Will they all come in the next 18, 24 months? No. But I think there is definitely pent up demand for new right. supply. Right. I hadn't thought about that part of the interest demand. rate conundrum. Yes. So let, let's close by talking a little bit about travel. I love talking about travel with you both because you both do it a lot. And of course, you bring your uh, particular areas of expertise and, dare I say, critique to your travels. So yeah, Isaac, you mentioned that you were in crowded airports recently. You were at Austin City Limits. Jan, you were at Disney World? First time. Got the yeah, stars. Got the mouse. <laughs> oh, so tell, tell our listeners your impression of the Disney magic, Jan. It is magic. So our boys are five and seven. We'd never been... I'm like, all right, let's just go all out. So we stayed on property at the Contemporary where the little uh, monorail goes through. We had a room with the view of the fireworks. Um, huge 
credit to Disney, the crowd control, the line management is truly amazing. So if there are three different lines, one is the regular line, one is the Genie Plus line, and one is what's called the Lightning Link line, where you can literally just pay and say, here's 20 bucks and I want to do this ride. Take my cash. <laughs> yeah. So in Walt. addition to all the other money that you're spending, um, they we wrote this thing called Tron, which is only like 90 seconds or 97 seconds long, but it shoots you from zero to 55 miles an hour in like four seconds. And my five-year-old loved <laughs> all of that. So that was super fun to do that with him. So the crowd control, the hotel, the service, the staff, really that part is magic. The, the, the part as, as the guy who whips out the credit card, you know, like their F and B charges are, they are not shy. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I understand, you know, that that these things are expensive, but I was actually not quite ready for <laughs> how for the much sticker for, shop on the F&B. So give us a, an average. So how much for an ice cream sundae? Oh, so that that's I mean, those things we just had. Oh, let's grab a quick snack, you know, family of four, you know, sixty seven dollars later. Yeah, you know, just to <laughs> sort of get a snack. The, the thing that sort of got me was this, oh, there's the all-you-can-eat buffets. And of course, with a five and a seven-year-old, they have like, you know, a grape and a cookie. And, and there like, you just paid $45. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that that part, I was just like, wow. But th that should not take away from the really, truly amazing experience. And I think, as I said, it's a rites of passage. We did two days in, in Magic Kingdom. Do we have to go back there? I don't know. <laughs> But Tron is truly, if you haven't been, try it. It's amazing. And the wonderful hospitality just made it all worthwhile. Yeah, I mean, they're genuinely, people are genuinely just very nice. I mean, they're very well trained. That's what Disney, you know, hangs their hat on, their service delivery. And I, I thought it was outstanding. That's great. Isaac, you, of course, were at yet another giant music festival, Austin City Limits. What's the hospitality situation down it, there? It was incredible. So IHG actually sponsored the VIP lounges and had a stage. So I kind of met up with a lot of my ex-IHG friends, which was great. And so, but you know me, I'm not going to stay in the VIP area. I was out in the in the pit to be, really experience it. So yeah, it was great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. were incredible. Foo Fighters were super cool. Uh, from the hospitality standpoint, we actually, unbeknownst to us, my friend makes all the arrangements him and his wife make all the dining arrangements and two of the restaurants we picked he had un he didn't really realize that they were in marriott hotels and they were great restaurants so we were at the marriott austin the full service there and then the jw steakhouse which is out of this world so yeah we were still in the hospitality scene obviously stay with my friend and his wife because again chateau pavelic is much better in, on the pocketbook <laughs> than you know a hotel during a major music festival but it was great. So I think, uh, and from what I could tell from the crowds, again, as I keep looking for these signs of recession, as I go to these bars, as I go to these uh, restaurants, there was nothing in Austin that said recession. We did find a secret bar that's really cool. Tell me, we can talk about it next time. It was, you have <laughs> to know it a code. Be a secret. <laughs> it's a, oh, it was better. a code to get in. It was in a, under a fence. You had to go downstairs before you got, it was a really awesome place. So yeah, we had a great time. But just to pick up on that, Disney World during spring break, no sign of recession. Or fall break, not spring break. Sorry, yeah. fall break, yeah, no sign so of recession. So if those are our indicators, then I think the industry is doing pretty well. Isaac, Jan, as usual, 
Thank you for a fun and fast-paced conversation that I really hope our listeners can follow. Now, one note, we've been getting some fan mail, so we may need to add a mailbag element to the show moving forward. If you have a question or comment for Isaac, Jan, or the podcast, you can send that to me, Stephanie Ricca. My email is srica at hotelnewsnow.com, and we just may answer it on the air in a future episode. As usual, thank you, guys. Have a great rest of your week. See you, Steph. I'm Devon Reed. I'm Omari Head. And I'm Chris Henry. We're the hosts of the Next Gen and Lodging podcast on the Hotel News Now podcast network. It's a monthly show in which we interview a new generation of hoteliers to get their insights into a variety of disciplines and topics from finance to food and beverage and hotel operations. Listen to us on Spotify, Google, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to the Hotel News Now Podcast Network. This episode was recorded on October 26, 2023. It was produced and edited by Brian Roten. Subscribe to Tell Me More, a hospitality data podcast, and all of Hotel News Now's podcasts wherever you like to listen. Visit hotelnewsnow.com for industry news from around the world and to subscribe to our newsletters. Thank you.